morning, everyone. Uh, so last week, Pastor Mario wrapped up our psalm series. We were going through uh, Psalms, a book that we originally presented as, this is probably one we don't spend a lot of time studying, working our way through. And so we, we took time, we looked at the foundational types of Psalms, right? The Psalms help me know God's infinite love, the categorizations that we can use to help understand them better, understand what we're reading. Then we looked at the foundational theology that we see throughout the entirety of the Bible, but how as you work your way through the Psalms, it lays that out as well. Sin, repentance, salvation, eternity, sanctification, prayer, hope, these wonderful, wonderful things in the Psalms. And so last week, as Mario wrapped up, you know, he talked about, and really his sermon concluded where the series concluded that all of this has to point back to Jesus. All of this points to Jesus, points to his glory, points to his kingship. And so that was just a wonderful note to end that series on. We're going to be starting a new series starting next month, moving into a book that I'm very excited about. Uh, I've been praying about for a while and, and just just praying, wondering where God's going to take us next. I'm excited for us all to see where that's going to be. But this week, in the in-between, as we've done before, we're going to come back to the language of the Bible. We're going to come back to the words in the Bible that we necessarily might not have, or we might not necessarily have in English. And so we miss out on a little bit in translation. Specifically, we're going to look at the name of God. Time and time again, Scripture says God's people must know Him by His name, should call Him by His name, and He uses different names for Himself. And so we want to make sure that we're looking at these names to understand God's character so that we can worship Him as He is due, so that we can know Him as we are called to. So before we dive into the name, which I think is going to be a fun one uh, for a lot of us to consider, let's pray. Lord, you are holy, holy, holy. You are worthy. It is our distinct joy to celebrate and praise you, to surrender to you. God, we give you our everything. Right now, we give you our everything. Whatever might distract us, remove it. May we worship you with the entirety of our soul as we open your word. May you teach us, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what names have we looked at? We've looked at Jehovah Nisi, El Samad Gili, We've looked at Elohim, Elohim Mikrov, names about, I am the God who gives you rest. I am the God who is near to you. I am, I am God, your victory banner. I am God, your strength. I am Lord of Lords. All these really fun names that when we read it in the Bible, we get excited. We get encouraged, right? You're reading, and you're like, I, and God says, I am God, your victory banner. And we're like, yeah, victory. I am God who gives you rest. Oh, I could use some of that. So now we're gonna come to a verse that I'm sure we are all equally enthusiastic about and not at all confused by in Exodus. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Is that the first name that comes to mind when you think of God? Jealous. I thought jealousy was a bad thing. I, wait, jealous? 
Why would God be jealous? Why should we be interested in the, right? Aren't we called to not be envious and jealous? So God identifies him. I mean, he says, whose name is jealous. And then he again repeats it, and it's the same word. Whose name is jealous. I am a jealous God. Why would he say that? What's he mean? And why in the world is this encouraging? We're going to get there, but we have, to, we have to work our way there. So let's first look at, there are two words that the Bible translates as jealous. They both come from the same root word. So on the one side of your screen, you have the root word, this, this base word, and then out of that, we get two words in the Hebrew that we translate as jealous. One is kinah, or kinah, and that can be angry, envy, passionate. It can be used to talk about rivalry. So you'll see that word pop up frequently in the Old Testament. Kinah, kinah. Then you have kana, kana. That word, that translation only appears six times in the Old Testament. That translation of jealous only appears six times and it is only ever used with God. See, the other versions, they can be used to talk about people and about their pettiness and about their immaturity and about their wrong response. But then you have kana, and from it we get el kana. You might see Elohim kana. And that means God who is jealous. And this is an appropriate holy jealousy. This is a jealousy different from yours and mine's immature jealousy, petty jealousy. Uh, I, I got, um, I was at Home Depot this past weekend and I bought myself something. And the guy behind me in line was like, oh, that's awesome. That's a great day, right? Anytime you get a new workbench, that's a great day. He was like, I'm really happy for you. A little jealous for myself, but really happy for you. That's kinah. That's personal self-focus, self-seeking, immature kinah. God, Elkanah, six times only about the Lord. This is what he says time and time again. Exodus 20, verse 5. You shall not bow down to them, talking about idols, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Exodus 34, 14, which we read a moment ago. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Deuteronomy 4, 24. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Deuteronomy 5, 9. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. In Deuteronomy 6, 15. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Yeah, I know those verses all said the same thing, in essence. So why do we read all of them? To show that this is not a one-time, flash-in-the-pan, fleeting thing. What do we know about God? What does He tell us about Himself? He is unchanging. Who He was yesterday is who He is today, is who He will be tomorrow. There is no variation in Him. There is no shifting in Him. So time and time again in His Word, He tells us, I am a jealous God. I am jealous. What is he jealous for? What is he jealous about? What is the context of every single one of those verses? We're not going to read all those passages, don't worry. We read Deuteronomy 4:24. You have to really read Deuteronomy 4:15 to 40 to get the full context. We read Exodus 25. 
You have to read the surrounding verses, verses 4 to 6, to get the full context. So for every one of those verses that we read, they fit into a larger chunk of Scripture, and that context is crucial. And as we read that context, when we study that context, we see that every time God identifies Himself as jealous, it is in regards to the object, the focus, the nature of our worship as His people. He is jealous for our worship. Like I said a moment ago, but this is not a petty, immature jealousy. This is an appropriate, holy jealousy. So why is God so adamant about His jealousy for our worship? Be honest. Are you maybe tempted to think that's kind of self-serving? Right? If I said, hey, I'm jealous for your attention. Well, isn't, isn't that a little self-serving? No, so we have to understand. We have to understand why does God take this so seriously? Why does God treat this with such gravity? Look at what happens when we divert, divest our worship from the Lord, when we allow idolatry to creep into our lives. See, God is so jealous for our worship because worshiping anything or anyone else leads to destruction. So in his jealousy for our worship, God is showing that he wants what is best for us. He knows the consequences of false worship. And he is guarding us. He is desperately warning us. He is calling us to true worship. He is jealous for that true worship. Listen to the consequences of anything else. This is Psalm 115, verses 1 to 8. Some of these passages are going to get a little long. Listen to these words. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. God lays out, I am the only one holy. Those idols are dead. I mean, that's what he's getting at. They have mouths but do not seek, eyes but do not see, ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell, hands but do not feel, feet do not, but do not walk, throat that makes no sound. That's dead. That's pointless. And what does God conclude? He says, those who trust in them become like them. Those who trust in idols are destroyed Isaiah 57, 13, when you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you. The wind will carry them all off. A breath will take them away. But he who takes refuge in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. Idols are temporary. Idols are fleeting. It might feel good now. It might work now, but it's going to die. It's not going to mean a thing in eternity. God warns His people of this, of false worship. Jeremiah chapter 10. Hear the word that the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, 
Learn not the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed at them. Oh boy. Learn not from the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs around you, because the nations are dismayed at what's going on. As the church in the last 20 years, looking at what's going around us, have our conversations indicated that we're dismayed? Is it possible that we've learned more from the nations around us and we're dismayed at what they're dismayed about rather than standing firm in the hope of what we know to be true? Is it possible our freaking out, our panicking, our fear, our anxiety about everything going on around us indicates that we've learned more from the nations because they're panicked and they're afraid and they're freaking out? That's what idolatry gets you. Learn not the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens because the nations are dismayed at them. For the customs of the peoples are vanity. A tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so that it cannot move. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field, and they cannot speak. They have to be carried, for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, nor is it in them to do good. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations, for this is your due. For among all the wise ones of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. This is what the Bible says. I'm not trying to be rude in this next verse. This is what the Bible says. Here's idolatry. Here are the people who worship idols. Here is the real God, none like you. And then God says, they are both stupid and foolish. The instruction of idols is but wood. There is no other word for worshiping idols than sheer stupidity. You think that tissue box is going to save you? How many of you, your life's on the line, and you're like, man, if I could just get that tissue box, I'd be okay. No. It was made by people. Idolatry is made by people. I don't have a, I don't have a figurine in my house that I worship. TV, sports team, hobbies, what's out in the garage, the time you spend. We have to recognize what idolatry is. It's giving worship. It's giving devotion to anything other than the Lord. It's giving our heart of worship to anything other than the God and the God alone who deserves it. What does the Bible say that worship is? If we reduce worship to just singing songs on a Sunday morning, we've missed the point of worship. That is a part of worship. You can look through Scripture time and time again and see where God calls His people to praise Him, to worship Him with their voices. But the Bible says, offer your lives as living sacrifices. This is holy. This is true. This is pleasing worship. We cannot reduce worship to, well, I sang four songs on a Sunday morning. I'm good. Beaten silver is bought from Tarshish and gold from Upaz. They are the work of the craftsmen of the hands of the goldsmith. Their clothing is violet and purple. They are all the work of skilled men. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At His wrath the earth quakes and the nations cannot endure His indignation. 
Thus shall you say to them, the gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. It is He who made the earth by His power, who established the world by His wisdom, and by His understanding stretched out the heavens. When He utters His voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens, and He makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain, and He brings forth the wind from His storehouses. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his images are false and there is no breath in them. They are worthless, a work of delusion. At the time of their punishment, they shall perish. Not like those is he who is the portion of Jacob, for he is the one who formed all things, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. Jonah 1, 4-5. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. I love the story of Jonah and those first five verses. You see an incredible, literal picture of trusting in idols. These are professional sailors. These are people whose lives are given to knowing the sea. And the storm is so bad that they're like, we're going to die. So they each pray out. They each cry out to their idols, their gods, and nothing changes. And Jonah says, hey, this is what the true God is calling us to do. They do it, and the storm ceases immediately. And that chunk of Jonah ends with, and they all cried out to the Lord. See, God is jealous for our worship. God says, I am jealous over idolatry because He knows that anything other than that will kill us. He knows that diverting our worship from Him will go disastrously for us. So His jealousy is a beautiful and kind thing. We're going to get to that in even more detail. But we have to understand that He's jealous not only because He knows what's best for us, He's jealous not only because He knows what's right and what's good for us and that's what He wants, but He's jealous for us because we have entered into covenant fellowship with Him and that's exclusive. So He is right in His jealousy. We said at the start that it's a holy jealousy. It is also an appropriate jealousy because we have made a vow to the Lord to be exclusive. We're going, to, we're going to talk about something that's very painful and very real. And when it happens to people, it's devastating. God calls the church His bride. Think about that. His bride. Even the unbelieving world who knows nothing about Jesus knows the pain that an affair causes. Even the world that knows nothing about Jesus knows that breaking that vow is horrible. Why? Because we understand the beauty of what marriage is meant to be. That is the language that God chooses to use for you and I, His church. If you ever feel unloved, if you ever feel unwanted, my brother or sister in Christ, God calls you His bride. 
There has never been an expression of love like that. Don't ever forget that. But remember that in that, God is right to be jealous because covenant fellowship is exclusive. Deuteronomy 4.24, which we already looked at, but what was the first half of that verse? For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Deuteronomy 9.3, Know therefore today that he who goes over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. Joshua 24.22, Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord, to serve Him. And they said, We are witnesses. This is in that chunk of Joshua where he lays out, here are your options. The gods of your forefathers, the gods of the people around you, the gods that will tempt you today, or the true Lord, who are you going to worship? And they say, the Lord. And he says, okay, you're witnesses. This is a covenant. You have accepted the terms of this. And they say, yeah, we accept it. We get it. We know it's exclusive. Isaiah 42.8, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Why? Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Why? For our God is a consuming fire. Consumption totality, everything. We use that phrase. We use that phrase to describe movies. Anybody remember when Taken came out, Liam Neeson, where he single-handedly defeated like half the world? And what, was, you know, what they talked about in the trailers were like consumed by a need to protect his family. Right? Because everything in his life was consumed by this, was given to it. We use this phrase, we're like, oh, that team is consumed by the drive to win a championship. Consumed by hunger. Consumed by anger. Consumption is total. Consumption is all. Consumption is everything. God is a consuming fire. It's exclusive. If I'm having a campfire at my house and I toss a log into the middle of it and the whole thing burns up, I can't also use that log for something else. Why? Because it's consumed by the fire. There's one use, one purpose, one way that it is spent. Covenant fellowship with the Lord is only that. So God is holy in His jealousy. God is right in His jealousy. And why is that a good thing? Why is that a great thing for us to remember? Why is this? Why do I want you all to desperately recall that God's name is Elkanah? On your worst days, on your hardest days, on your toughest days, I, I really hope you think of Elkanah. Why? Not to feel guilty, not to feel shame. Those are tools of the enemy. The Holy Spirit uses conviction. If He convicts us, okay, obey, respond to it. But I want you to remember Elkanah. I really hope, and this time I use hope, not in the biblical certainty, but hope in the desire. I really desire that we as a church would remember God's name is Elkanah because let's go back to that root word and realize where the jealousy comes from. See, that root word that we translate into two different types of jealousy, that root word means zeal. 
It means passion for. It's a zealousness that is unmatched. So knowing God is jealous over our worship should remind us that it's because He is zealous for, He is passionate about what is best for us. Why? Because of how deeply He loves us. Because of how deeply and perfectly He cares about you. How many of you would believe me if I said, anytime Violet wants to play outside, I take her down to 71 and leave her in the middle of traffic? Have fun. No, of course not, because I love that little girl with everything I have. And so I want what is best for her. I am zealous for my daughter. So I am jealous over her safety. God wants what's best for us. He knows idolatry is not it. He knows that only worship of Him is what's right for us. And so he is jealous over our worship because of how deeply he loves us. If Joe came up to me and were like, dude, check out this new fishing equipment I got. I'm going to use a ridiculous number. Like, this is a new $80,000 piece of fishing equipment. I'd be like, okay, cool. Who cares? I'm not jealous over that because I don't like fishing. I like hanging out with friends. I've gone fishing and I've enjoyed hanging out with people, but I'm never going to spend my money on fishing stuff. I'm not going to be jealous over that because I just don't care about it. So would you rather a God who is jealous over your worship because of how deeply he cares about you? Or would you rather a God who looks at you and says, yeah, worship whatever you want, who cares? If you want to go down a trail of destruction, all right, I'm good over here. I think it's a great thing that God is jealous. I want God to be jealous. Because God's jealousy reminds me of how much He loves me. It reminds me of His zeal for me. Here's what some of the commentaries that I was reading this week had to say about it. Walvert and Zuck said, His uniqueness requires unique devotion. Absence of such dedication is sin and has its effect on future generations. Another commentary said, God, the Creator, is worthy of all honor from His creation. Indeed, His creatures, mankind especially, are functioning properly only when they give God the honor and worship that He deserves. God's jealousy is therefore also His zeal for His creatures' well-being. God says, my name is Elkanah, which should remind His people that He loves us and He knows what's best and He knows what's right. So why would we not respond to that? Friends, be encouraged by Elkanah. Listen to how God describes His relationship to us, His fellowship with us, His mindset towards His people. This is Isaiah 48, starting in verse 17. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your offspring would have been like the sand and your descendants like its grains. Their names would never be cut off or destroyed from before me. God doesn't say, oh, that I wish you would have followed me just because. 
He says, no, if you would have followed me, if you would have followed my commandments, you would have had the things you were looking for. You would have had peace. If only you would have followed me. He wants what's best for us. Isaiah 62, 4, listen to how God talks about His bride. You shall no more be named forsaken. Your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called, My delight is in her, and your land married, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. If that is the first time you have heard that verse, and if you've been here for the last three years, it shouldn't be. But if that's the first time you remember hearing that verse, please let me reread some of those words. For the Lord delights in you. What lie is the enemy going to come at you with that trumps God delighting in you? I mean, think about it. What name could the enemy possibly try and convince you of that is not infinitely beautifully, perfectly dwarfed by God saying, I delight in you. I delight in my people. Come on. That's enough for the hardest day. That's, that's unbelievable. Ezekiel 39.25, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name. See, his jealousy for his name is directly connected to good things for his people. Joel 2, 18-19, Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied, and I will make no more a reproach of you among the nations. Zechariah 2, 8, for thus said the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you. So Zechariah is saying, okay, here are the bad people. Here are your enemies. Here are the antagonistic threats to you. The nations who plundered you. God sent me to them and he said about them, he said, he who touches you, he who harms you, he who wrongs you, touches the apple of my eye. Are you kidding me? God did... How are there not more smiles? I'm sorry, like, stand up if you're awake. I'm dead serious. Stand up if you're awake. Okay, let's repeat this. God calls you the apple of his eye. All right, you can be seated. You guys are awake. Friends, it's okay to respond positively to beautiful verses like that. I mean, the Lord of hosts looks at his people and says, that's the apple of my eye. Don't you touch them. That's why he's jealous. Because of how zealous he is for his people. Zephaniah 3.17 The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. The world wants to boo you. The world wants to criticize you and mock you and abuse you. You know what's louder than that voice? God's voice exalting over us. God's voice singing over us. This is why he's jealous. Because he's zealous. 
And it's a beautiful thing to know God as Elkanah. As you're reading through the Old Testament, today, tomorrow, six months from now, whenever, whenever you're reading through the Old Testament and you see those commands, you see those standards, you see those laws, right? And you're like, okay, why is this in here? Pay note to how often the Bible uses the phrase or the idea that it may go well with you. Do this, follow this, live this way, that it may go well with you, that you may prosper, that your children may prosper, that their generations may prosper. Do this, that it may go well for you. Everything God does is designed for what's best and right. Look for those words to see how deeply God loves His church. Once again, knowing God as Elkanah, knowing God as jealous, should remind us of how deeply He loves us and how seriously He takes our worship. And so then, yeah, naturally the question should follow, okay, do I take it as seriously as God does? But that's, that's a conversation for a later day. That's a conversation for another time. The time this morning is to just realize that God is El Kana. God is jealous for our worship. God is jealous for our lives because He knows that when we give it to anything other than Him, it goes wrong. It goes badly. It's killing us to give our lives to anything other than Him. And that's not what he wants. So he is rightly and appropriately and completely wholly jealous for his church. He is perfectly El-Kanah. It's a wonderful thing. So this week, as we consider these things, as we pray about this, as we pray about El-Kanah, as we read Isaiah 46... And allow Isaiah 46 to encourage you. As we read Isaiah 46, apply the Acts model. Praise God for his jealousy. Praise God for caring so deeply about his people that he is jealous over their worship. Confess, if necessary, when we have abandoned that zealous, that zealousness. When we have not been zealous. There we go. I get tripped up sometimes. Thank Him for His jealousy. Thank Him for caring. Thank Him for providing this information to us. Ask Him to remind you of this. Ask Him to fill you with the joy of knowing Him as Elkanah. I already mentioned we're reading Isaiah 46. And then we're moving on to a new verse. I've said this plenty of times if you've missed it. We're adding this in, right? How many times does the Bible say, Know God's Word, meditate on it day and night? internalize it, allow it to define us. The psalmist says, I've hidden your word in my heart. So this isn't a, hey, we're going to memorize a new verse every week and then we can just feel good about ourselves. This is a, we're going to take time to know a verse and allow it to internalize in our lives so that it really defines how we approach this world. What's the verse we've been doing for the last five or six weeks? Acts 1.8. Good. Does anybody know Acts 1.8? Now I'm going to ask for a really brave thing. Would anybody say out loud Acts 1-8 for us? Come on, be brave. All right. I can only assume that's because speaking out loud is intimidating. And I, okay, that's fine. If it's because 
you've enjoyed me talking about Acts 1-8 and you've been like, man, I hope other people are doing that, but I'm not going to do it. Why not? We don't do these things just for fun. I know Acts 1-8. I want you guys to know it. I want our church to know it. I want our church to live it. Acts 1-8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in all of Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This needs to define our lives. This sense of mission, this sense of calling, this sense of purpose. This joy of being filled with the Holy Spirit, of being empowered for this. We need to know this. We also need to know Acts 2:42, Talking about the early church. And they were devoted to the fellowship, the teaching of the apostles, the breaking of the bread, talking about communion and prayer. The early church was devoted to these four things. Consumed by, could be another way you say that. Zealous for these four things. I challenge you to name a time when the church has been more evangelistically effective than in Acts. What's it say about the church in Acts? Thousands were being added to their number daily. I don't think you can describe the American church like that. The church was most evangelistically effective when it was most zealous for the things of God. So now, we're going to move into knowing Acts 2.42. We're going to keep looking at this verse. We're going to allow it to saturate our lives. We're going to pursue its saturation of our lives. We're going to give ourselves to knowing this verse and living this verse and internalizing this verse. So this week, begin to work on memorizing Acts 2.42. Put it in your car. Put it on your mirror. Tuck it in your shoes. Wherever you need to put it, however many places you need to put it, so that it is on your mind. Let's allow God's Word to cut and pierce and refine and hone. Because as we consider Elkanah, as we consider God who is jealous for us, I think it's only right that we ask, do I reflect that jealousy? Do I reflect that zeal? Am I, am I as passionate about His bride as He is? Am I as joyful to love His people as He is? Am I as focused on His mission as He is? We need to be growing. We need to be more like Jesus every day. Me, the elders, all of you. But in that, man, in that, draw strength from knowing God as Elkanah. Draw joy from knowing that, okay, I'm not setting out to be passionate. I'm not setting out to impact the world on my own. I'm not trying to do this on my own merit. I'm not trying to exist on my own value. I'm stepping forth into this world as one whom God calls the apple of His eye, as one whom God says, I delight in you, I sing over you, I celebrate, I exult. God is jealous over you, over your worship. That's a beautiful thing. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you are zealous for your people. We thank you that you are passionate and that you love us so deeply. 
may our lives reflect that same passion and love. On the bad days, on the hard days, on the scary days, on the fearful days, on the worried days, remind us that you are Elkanah. Remind us that you are jealous over our worship. Remind us that it is because you love us and want what is best for us. And that is no small thing, to be loved by the creator of the universe, by the king. So we praise you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor Sam here. Thanks for joining us for a Sunday sermon. If you're interested in more of the sermons from this series or some of our past sermon series that we've done, you can find them at discovercommunity.org under the sermon file. Uh, Otherwise, you can subscribe to this channel to make sure you stay up to date on all our content. Thanks for joining us.